Hey, welcome to Movie Club. I'm Kyle. I'm Miro. I'm Davinia. And today we're talking about Naked Lunch. Okay, so go on, Kyle. All right. This stuff. Naked Lunch is uh, 1991 science fiction drama (laughs) stuff to even call out the genre. Uh, It's written and directed by David Cronenberg and starring Peter Weller, Judy Davis, Ian Holm, and Roy Scheider. And it's based on the William S. Burroughs novel of the same name from 1959. I just join in and uh, say a fun fact about the title. Do you know how it was created? The title, A Naked Lunch? Um, The way you're saying that, I feel like I don't. (laughs) We didn't say, but Burroughs was part of the Beat Generation, right? That's a literary movement. And one of them was Allen Ginsberg. Mm -hmm. And he misread the title once. It was originally Naked Lust. And uh, he said, uh, oh, Naked Lunch. And this mistake was yeah, heard by another Beat Generation author, Jack Kerouac. Yeah. And he loved it so much that he recommended to Burroughs that he will title this novel uh, originally, right? This is a novel. Yeah. And this is a movie based on that novel. So Naked Lunch. Yeah, it's a novel that was considered to be obscene at the time and unfilmable. I chose it because Cronenberg is one of my favorites, favorite directors. Definitely in my top five. And I haven't seen this one for many years, so I wanted to share it with both of you, who I was sure had never seen it, and I wanted to check it out again and see what I thought. Okay, thank you for the emotional scarring. It was wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be really tough to do the to any kind of plot summary for this one, but it basically concerns a man named Bill Lee, who is an exterminator, seems to be an ex-writer, uh, and... He, how do you even, he and his, <laughs> he and his wife start experimenting with the injecting themselves with the bug powder that he uses as an exterminator. One thing leads to another and he accidentally or not accidentally shoots her in the head and seems to discover and tumble down into a conspiracy involving a strange city or place known as Interzone and all the strange characters who get up to no good there. I'm really not sure we can uh, summarize it any better, honestly. Uh, it's it's a pretty pretty strange one. I have a summary for that very easily. It's a drug trip where uh, he's battling yeah. his drug addiction, paranoia, and sexuality while he's creating something. And based on that battle, he created, well, this. It's uh, <laughs> It's crazy. Now, Miro, when you watched it, did you understand exactly what was going on or did you look it up and read an interpretation? Here are my feelings in order when I was watching it. First of all, I was like, "Mm -hmm, okay, I will have Open Mind, old movie, 91. Old movie. Yes, 91 (laughs) is old to me. I was one year old when this came out and selected by philosopher Kyle. So I was sure it wouldn't be an ordinary experience. (laughs) I love that. Yeah, great. Well, that's kind of nice. I I didn't watch it once, I will be honest. I watched it several times. Wow. It was like, you know, it was like watching a car crash. You can't look away because it's so shocking. You watched it several times. Yes, yes. Oh, wow. Several passages I had to rewind and watch again because, for example... The first time when it starts to be weird was when Bill Lee was in the, uh, what's it called? The exterminator main house. Mm -hmm. And his boss was complaining, oh, you're missing powder. 
uh, you didn't have enough for your job. What are you doing? You're eating it? And he's like, no, no, I'm not eating it. And then he went to somebody who is holding inventory or something like that. And he yeah. just started eating the powder. Yeah, there's like a quote unquote China man. Yeah, China. Yeah, China man who is holding inventory and he's just, well, uh, what are you doing? And he starts eating right. the powder. What the fuck? Okay. So that was, <laughs> that was the first trip. And then as we went further on into this madness, I was like, what the fuck? That was my basic feeling. I was sitting here with my mouth wide open. Like, what is this? Yeah, there's really no sentimentality here. I have seen his battles in this movie. I get it. It's very deep. It was a very personal work for Mr. Boros. And then the director, David Cronenberg, also very personal work for them. I just yeah. don't like this bullshit. You know, it's too artsy for me. I would like uh, something to be said directly or at least later on explained. I was mm. kind of obsessed with it because <laughs> it's celebrated. It's very well liked. And yet I didn't know why. And then, you know, I realized it was a very personal story for Mr. Burroughs. So I get it. You know, these personal stories, when you are drugged out of your mind, maybe will not be very realistic or well, making sense, but uh, it will be a journey into your soul and some kind of introspective change that he was experiencing throughout the whole movie. The main character, he, what, who is basically the author, Burroughs. Especially thanks to those hallucinations. You never know like what you're watching. Is this happening for real? Is it not? Well, you know, you know that bugs are not typewriters. Yeah, yeah. Mug, mugwumps. Mm -hmm. That's what they were called, right? Those yeah creatures with legs. Yeah, the aliens. They mm -hmm. they are not there. It's just stuff in his head. Yeah, but not only like the bugs and stuff. Since you know he already is out of it. Even when he's talking to someone, normally he's like, "Okay, is this happening? Is this happening exactly how I'm seeing it?" There's already a question. I think this movie has a pretty clear. Once you discover the key to it, I think it, it makes quite a bit of sense, actually. Similar with something like David Lynch's Mulholland Drive, for example. Everyone acts confused by it, but once you have the sort of the key to that film, it, it all kind of makes sense. You said you hate this bullshit. It's too artsy. Too artsy, huh? Yes, exactly. I'm Look, I'm not saying this is a bad movie. Well, it's a strange movie, and I'm not saying I don't like strangeness. Yeah. It's just this was... Well, weird. Uh, the first time that you see it, it's a shock. And you have to get on the same wavelength of the movie, and then maybe you can process what's yeah. happening. Basically, like, the real story is, in real life, William Burroughs was kind of a nobody. Friends with Allen Ginsberg and Jack Kerouac, who are both represented in the film. They're famous Beat Generation authors. There's two friends in the film, basically, just with different names. And yeah, he, he really did shoot his wife in the head in what he said was an accident in the same sort of way. Um, and he had to flee the country, he had to flee the States, and he sort of ended up in Tangiers in Morocco, just on a total drug-induced binge sexuality bender kind of thing. Just like in the film, he was sending them these passages that they were able to form into a book but the book naked lunch is very strange and i mean it was quite a scandal when the book came out at the time it's full of all kinds of things that were considered obscene and descriptions of a lot of stuff and it's a lot more 
strange and intense even than the film. And so what Cronenberg's done here is film his imagined version of how this book came to be created rather than try to film the book itself. But yeah, it's basically just a big drug trip. And there's a couple of scenes like when his friends come to visit him, which I think is like the key to the film. If you can understand that scene and that there is no interzone and that he's just kind of passed mm-hmm. out in like a homeless mm-hmm. encampment and he's got a bag full of drugs. And yeah, I did see that scene. It's like, yeah, they didn't travel anywhere. They just went yeah. on a drug trip with him. And he's sort of, I love, I love that scene too. And he's sort of saying like, oh, can't you guys come with me or stay here? Yeah. Right. And you know, Jack Kerouac's like, ah, well, my book, I could never finish my book here, which is true because it's this kind of jockey, all American novel. <laughs> and Ginsburg's just like, yeah, come back later. So I actually don't really like the beat generation, but Burroughs is all right. Yeah. But they said, uh, when they were leaving that you stay until you finish it, this is for yeah. you. Yeah. And then you can come back. Well, yeah, because in a way, like, he did write it in that state, you know? Yeah. So they needed him to stay in the shit, basically, <laughs> so he could finish the book. Uh, he was really writing about mugwumps and black centipede powder and all this stuff, not in a very coherent way, <laughs> at least in the long, longer term sense. You could break it down into these little kind of routines or passages that more or less connected, but not really directly in a plot sense. There's not really like a plot to the book. It just kind of meanders through these different episodes. They quote some passages from the book here, and it's just this kind of ranting. He was also known for doing the uh, pioneering the cut-up method, which is he would cut up a newspaper into several different pieces and rearrange it to try to discover interesting combinations of words and things. So a lot of it doesn't even make sense. It's just other text that's been cut up and rearranged. It was very experimental in any case. It definitely was. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, yeah. And moreover, I think the friends had to put the book together. So who the hell knows if that's like <laughs> the actual, what he thought of or how he wrote things. So like, who knows? They have like their own interpretation as well. I read that the director basically translated Pura's book into something that is more understandable for the public. No, I don't agree. Because most of the movie is about him writing the book. You don't have to agree. That's a fact. It's not a fact. Yeah, that it's what the director said himself. I will send it to you. I disagree with that. You've misinterpreted what he said. So you're not giving us his exact words. So it's clearly, I've read the book. You haven't. And I've seen the film. Mm-hmm. And it's not the book. Yeah, that's it's true, but he understood what it's about and interpreted it a different way. And he understood something about the mentality that leads to writing such a book. That's what the movie's about. At least the context of the writer. No, I mean, that's literally about that he starts to write the book and finishes the book by the end of the movie. That's what I mean. He understands the context in where the writer was put in and his experiences and whatever you want to call it. He didn't simplify the book sound for whatever Miro said isn't true. He didn't like make it easier for us. In fact, I would argue it may even seem more complicated at the outset, especially if you've read the book, because it's like, well, this isn't the book. There are scenes that are reminiscent of the book or some passages that are read aloud, you know, like when he's in the car with blonde European guy and the young kid, and he starts telling a story about this guy who's basically his asshole starts to be able to talk and grows teeth and like takes over the whole body. And that's just like, that's a chapter from the book, for example. So I'm just saying you've, you know, I think you've mischaracterized what he said there. 
I don't think so, but okay. And actually, it's one of my points is that I think it's a really interesting way to adapt something rather than trying to actually adapt the book to adapt how the book was written. But uh, it's very dangerous, right? In yeah. this case, it worked well, but I don't recommend uh, to directors to start doing this 100%. And I think adaptations are always a really difficult yes. thing to attempt. Well, it depends on what the director thinks about it. Does it, if the director understands it or not? Mm. Do they even like it? You know, that's the question. Sometimes the director just gets a job and does the adaptation that he doesn't really like. But also let's have into account that not every book has a William person behind it. So it wouldn't even be interesting to do it from that perspective. That's true. Because he really what, did get up to some stuff in, in Tangiers and he really was a mess. And I think they yeah. really did visit him in real life. They went to Tangiers and he was just living like, you know. Hermit. I mean, worse than a hermit. Disgusting hermit. We can say whatever we want about him. He was a crazy human being. He, he was a terrible drug addict at the time. Exactly. Like, plus a man of the times, like of the 50s or, of any, or anything. I mean, the guy has a pillowcase full of drugs. <laughs> I would say it could be an issue. That is his typewriter machine, you know, writing machine. Mm -hmm. I, underst I understood it, that he takes it and then he becomes creative. Or he's able to process the pain and then write. Yeah. Well, he didn't always process the pain, right? I mean, we've seen that he just took some drugs and then the typewriter started talking to him about his homosexuality and he couldn't take it yet and left. So, you know, processing was a matter of time. Yes, but you have to look at the drug trip like as the movie as a whole. Yes, of course, but there were highlights when he just took it. Things started happening. Of course, he was constantly on something, but... I'm saying on a higher level, the drug use allowed him to process and write about his grief and his life and drug addiction and things that other people wouldn't have written about at the time. Definitely, he's simply coping through the entire movie to me. He seems suffering, like, every time. Can I just say, what a great actor, Peter Weller. And he has some of the best reaction shots in this movie. I've seen him later on when he was slightly older. And also Ian Holm. Hey, mm -hmm. younger Ian Holm. And Julian Sands. He's great from the Warlock movies. If anyone's seen Warlock Armageddon, <laughs> <laughs> he's great. But Peter Weller is excellent. We almost should play a clip of him like <laughs> being asked to rub bug powder on a bug's anus vagina orifice. <laughs> the way he says okay is uh, one of a kind. Say, Bill. Do you think you could rub some of this powder on my lips? Mm, yeah. Sure. Well, now. Yeah. <laughs> but the one thing that I was mostly irritated about in this movie... Billy is mumbling a lot. I had to put it up, the sound, all, all mm -hmm. the way up. And then when the music started, it was too much. Uh, it was always constant battle yeah. of me <laughs> setting up the sound up and down, up and down. And then he was like, um, I, don't I don't know. I don't know. He says, maybe. Davinia, I remember you mentioned that you kind of liked that aspect of it, <laughs> even though we both felt the same way. Yeah, I don't know. I felt like he went with the entire vibe, so to speak, of the movie. He was such a like fitting character 
for his experiences, if that makes any sense. A fitting character for his experiences? Yeah, for like what, hmm, how to put it. You just mean that mumbling like suits his character? Yeah, basically. I would say that when you're stoned out of your mind, you probably don't articulate too much or don't speak up because you're just speaking to yourself. More than that, I think that when you picture someone who's like going through all this shit, right? And you have him taking drugs all the time and all this kind of stuff, like you can only expect that the guy's going to like mumble every now and then, you know, he's not being coherent all the time. And I think that's actually really good. And the character himself, he's like this like quiet person, which I, for some reason, loved. If you guys ever watch like an interview with William Burroughs, he's a mumbler. And in fact, even his writing feels very mumbly. If you read Naked Lunch, it's just a bunch of mumbling, more or less. So I think it suits it too, but I agree. It was hard to hear him. And there's some great lines in the film as well and some great quotes from the book and some great stuff that can be lost there. I love the quote that was in the beginning, like hustlers of the world. There is one mark you cannot beat the mark inside. The mark inside. You can't con yourself. Yeah. Basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It will always come up. What about the special effects in this one? I love all the creatures. I love the bugs, the bug type. I wish I had a bug typewriter. That's a prop I would love to have. It's disgusting, but me saying it's disgusting, it's good, right? It's yeah. a good prop because I believed it. <laughs> yeah. You like all that stuff, Divinia? Oh, man, <laughs> I love the monsters and all the creatures and stuff. Especially mm. also the fact that they were linking the desire to write or the compulsion to write. Also with his sexuality issues, with like the typewriter. I love the way they connect the two things together with his writing and making it through a typewriter who's also like a bug that constantly annoys him and reminds him of things, you know? It's also like a disgusting, filthy creature. Because he does feel dirty about certain things of his life when you think about it. Right. So I think hmm. they do so well link everything together with the monsters and more specifically the typewriters, for sure. Yeah. Some classic Cronenberg practical effects going on in this movie it's something else i really like about it and about the book is that there's like an underbelly to those times and that's what's also interesting is because the character sees a lot of things as dark or an underbelly that aren't necessarily like his sexuality in general isn't mm -hmm. but he sees it as something that he has to it's just a cover he's a writer so he's, he's not really gay and all these things so it's interesting how he himself thinks of and because of the time, like things were so repressed and he didn't want to, to be gay, for example, to, wouldn't believe it himself. Yeah. It's complicated because we see things through his point of view, but he doesn't see things the way we would. And it's not this tale of like, you know what I mean? Well, I think I do. <laughs> also, adding to his character, the protagonist, he's just very like numb to life, seems to me, which can be many things, right? Trauma from what's happened to him and other things. His repression of his sexuality and then drugs. He's just very numb to life. Well, I don't know. Numb to life. I might say he's really passive. Or passive. Yeah. You're going to do this. Okay. <laughs> like <laughs> he's down for whatever. Yeah. Like whatever. Just go ahead. Exactly. He just writes the waves, you know, as they come pretty much. Like he says, he just reports. He reports back. Right. He's just the informant. He's just there to observe and... You know, take note. Writing reports. 
Yeah. And uncovering the conspiracy. Of course, of course. I unfortunately decided to eat dinner on my first viewing, and <laughs> that was not a good decision. So if anybody, if any listeners would decide to watch it, just empty stomach, a lot of water next to you, uh, just so you can you know, wash down the disgust. Mira's recommendation of the day. It's mm -hmm. uh, a strange Cronenberg film. It's I would say it's one of the lesser known, least appreciated. I think it was a big flop when it came out. Lost a lot of money. Of course. 91. Yeah. Nobody's ready for that in 91. Ah, uh, well, I, I am not sure, but it, it was critically well received. It has those horror moments, those gross out moments, but it's a, it is an actually really thoughtful film that's, uh, discussing some interesting things about art and artists and, and people and. Okay. I would like to categorize this as horror or sci-fi because there was nothing sci-fi or horror about this. Yeah. Maybe there was disgusting sometimes, but there was no jump scares. There was no. Nothing that a viewer should be afraid of. I don't agree. You said yourself you couldn't eat and you had to sit, have water and you're going to be traumatized. It was disgusting. That's why I wasn't scared. There's difference between horror scary and disgusting. Look, it's a movie with creatures in it. And at least until you have cracked what it's about, I would argue the nature of the world that we're in. There seems to be these alien mugwumps and this thing called inner zone. And so I would say that at least as you're first viewing it, I think it's easy to see how it could be considered science fiction or horror. Yeah, I don't see it, but okay. It's up to everybody to decide, but uh, yeah. I don't think anybody should be scared to watch it because it's horror. I mean, it is horrible in a lot of ways. There is a lot of moments of horror, I would say. All right. Well, um, Mr. Selector, Kyle. Yeah. And what would you rate this masterpiece? Yeah, this is my cup of tea, of course. I already knew that I liked it, but it had been a many years since I saw it last. So I'm going to give it an eight out of 10. Oh, Jesus. Okay. I mean, it's just masterfully directed and written, in my opinion, and a really, really interesting version of an adaptation. And I like the themes. I like movies about writers and I like creatures. So it's got everything. Okay. The video? Well, you're going to hate this, but I coincide with Kyle. It's also <laughs> an 8 out of 10. Oh, nice. And we did the ratings, you know, separately, so. I did not expect this. How is this possible? <laughs> well, I mean, I guess that's why we're together. <laughs> that's right. I give this a 6 out of 10. It is not that far away from you. This is just not my cup of tea. But it was good, I would say. Yeah, watch it if you have some time and strong, strong, strong mental constitution. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And as I said, a glass of water next to you to freshen you up when you're watching it. I thought you would rate it lower. Lower? Why would it be lower? That seems pretty high from you for this one, from for what I thought. Enjoy it. Be grateful. Kyle, be grateful, okay? <laughs> oh, I'm I'm grateful. Believe me. And there you have it, folks. You just heard our review of the movie Naked Lunch. Our average rating for this movie is 7.3 out of 10. Did you like it? Was it strange? Let us know on Twitter at movieclub underscore pod. We would be happy if you would rate us as well on your favorite podcast platform. 
where you can also find more movie reviews by Movie Club. You can join Movie Club and support us by visiting our Patreon page and subscribing to one of our membership tiers. The link will be in the description of this episode. Next week, we'll be talking about the Grand Budapest Hotel. Don't forget to check it out. Bye!